dream is dawning, held in the holy waters. A global community of empathy and intelligence. We walk with one vision. Enter the temple. with Edwina Masson. Edwina is a singer, songwriter, teacher, vocal health specialist, voice coach, and an ex-lecturer at the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. Edwina is a master of melody and a deeply passionate liberator of the authentic voice. Her work honours music as medicine and the voice as a powerful path back to the deepest expression of our authentic selves. Eddie's work is a testament to the healed voice as a pillar of a healed earth, experientially woven with the wisdom of her own journey, living with an autoimmune disease through which she almost lost her voice. Eddie is carving a radically new path for musicians, teaching artists to value their work and well-being rather than conform to the shadow side of the music industry. In this podcast, we delve into the passionate playground of voice intergenerational trauma, authenticity, and a birthright belonging to sound. May this podcast act as an invitation into the remembrance of your own unique power hidden within your voice. Okay, we have Edwina Masson on our In the Temple today, one of our pillars of our sisters. You have just heard our podcast intro which is Edwina's magic she has channeled this this energy through for us to open each of our podcasts um, I just want to let everyone listening know that we have our garden roses on the table mm-hmm. one of our very precious plant allies Eddie and Izzy are on their first day of bleeding, so we have hot cacaos and hot water bottles on their wounds. And I'm calling in a soft and deep conversation because we're in the watery depths of the feminine today. So I'd like to open this conversation with how women don't feel safe in society. This trauma can start in the family dynamic and is then reinforced in our communities. Often than not, we start suppressing our essence. I want to talk about how this is reflected in the voice with you, Eddie, before we even start to sing. The way we speak conveys our deepest wounds. Can you give us some examples of of how our voice can be altered in us wanting to feel safe? Mm, It's a beautiful question. So... When I think about the voice, I believe that the voice is a link between our internal and our external worlds. So as soon as we feel fear or any types of emotions, we have a habit of trying to put up protective barriers around ourselves to protect ourselves from being truly seen because we've created a world where it's not safe 
to be seen and to be vulnerable. So we don't even realize that we do it, but we start trying to protect what is most special and important to us, which is our essence. And so because our voice is that link between the internal and external worlds, it's only expected that we would manipulate our voice to try and hide ourselves so that we so so that we can hide ourselves. And we do that in ways of tension and constriction. So in regards to tension, that is physical. So we create tension through locking our jaw. We create tension through pulling our tongue back. We create tension through like, um, what's the word? Hunching everything with our body. And that's quite an obvious way of manipulating our voice that people don't quite realize because your entire body affects your voice. Mm. So the way that you stand affects the way that the sound will be produced. And I think what we have a habit of thinking is that the voice is located simply in the throat. When in, in reality, your entire body is the instrument, the vocal cords are simply the passing point. Mm. So the body is the first thing that has a habit of being able to protect us from being seen. And that's the hunching, that's the tongue tension, that's speaking through your jaw. You know, you see people who are quite anxious and when you ask them to speak, they don't articulate their words, they speak through a closed mouth. So they're the physical markers. And then there's constriction and restriction, which is actually physical vocal cord manipulation so something that I see a lot and it comes back down to people being really disconnected from their foundation so the foundation in breath in singing is breath and as soon as people are disconnected from their breath they have no grounding they have no foundation they have no support so everything that's created above it isn't solid so you see things like um, constricted vocal tone which if people have never even explored their own voice they wouldn't know what that is a way of being able to tell if you are breathing or speaking through constricted uh, vocal cords is if when you breathe in can you hear your inhale if you can hear a high-pitched inhale it means that you are actually constricting your airways as you inhale so before you even make any sound at all you're already trying to control you're already trying to make sure that everything that you do is exactly how you think it should be done could you give us a little example of what that would sound like yeah so if i was going to inhale with constricted airways i, I hope it can be picked up but it should sound something like <sighs> Like this, or if I was breathing really, uh, really quickly, it would be. <sighs> Hear that? The closing of the airway. Mm -hmm. So you often see that come through as lift, being lifted in the chest. So if when you inhale, your chest is lifting, it means that you're taking an incorrect breath, mm. which means you're not even breathing into your support. Mm. So we're already ungrounded before we even make any sound. So we already had distancing ourselves further and further away from who we are mm. because we don't even have our like full two feet planted in the ground with correct breathing mm. so if I was going to breathe correctly you shouldn't even be able to hear it on the recording because it should be so deep it should be something like you can barely hear anything mm. it's because my airways I imagine it to be like an open tunnel 
and I try and make sure that when I visualize my breath, I'm actually allowing it to go as deep down into my womb as possible. Mm. So I think of breathing as like a whoopee cushion womb. Mm. And that's where I start with, with everything. It's like you, we have this obsession with the sound when in reality we need to be focusing on sensation. Ah, yes. Mm. Yeah, I love, I love how you touch upon, um, you know, breath is the foundation. And I think a lot of us in society recognize that we don't know how to breathe mm. properly and just how deeply connected that issue of breath is almost to the issue of not being able to trust each other. Mm. Because if we can't breathe properly as the foundation of sound, Mm -hmm. we're not speaking our authentic true voice. And that comes down to a communication pathway which is distorted and we can't really see each other or hear each other, so we distrust each other. Yeah, 100%. Mm. It's like I think of in singing or in speaking your sixth sense, right? That feeling you get from people, which is like, do I trust you or not? Is made up by the non-verbals in your speech, Mm. which is everything other than words. And we have a habit of putting so much importance on the words that we say, when in reality, it's how you're saying that, saying Mm. it, which either makes it land or not, which makes you trust you or not. It's Mm. like, you can always tell if a man's saying, you can trust me, Mm. and your sixth sense is like, hell fucking no yes. it's not what he said it's how he said it and that's the non-verbals mm, yes. so as soon as we're disconnected from our breath we have no foundation to actually create that trust from because mm. it's like your breath is your life if you can't even trust your breath like what's going on mm. who are you yeah mm. and i actually read a sentence i think yesterday that really hit me as well because i do a lot of writing and it said something like you know, you can say the most beautiful or um, enigmatic things, but you can't hide your tone. Mm-hmm. And there's so much of that hiding <laughs> on like both the shadow and the light side that we simultaneously want to hide and can't hide. Mm-hmm. So people are receiving what's going on in our deepest sense, whether we yeah. whether we want them to or not. Yeah. So it's kind of like coming back to this foundation of voice as the platform of our deepest human nature. Oh, and it's, it takes someone like me with a really, really trained ear to be able to pinpoint exactly where they're hiding their voice. Because people can feel it. You can mm. feel when someone's not speaking from their authenticity, but you have never been trained to tell why. It's someone like myself who has been trained to be like, okay, you're placing it in your throat or you're placing it in your nose to try and control your sound because if you don't have your control from your breath, your body will try and control in any other way that it can. So when we speak, it should be like an open passageway of sound. So essentially speaking is just audible air. And when we don't have that consistency of airflow, our body will do two things. It will either put it in our throat and it'll tense the vocal cords to try and create stability that way, or it'll shove it into our nose because it's another form of stability. And that's why you hear so many people either speaking from a really swallowed place. So if you heard someone singing like that, it would sound a lot like Shakira. Shakira, Cher, the voices that you know, from a technique standpoint, they couldn't be further away from their actual authentic voice. Mm. And someone who sings in their nose, which is someone like Britney Spears. So there are two very extreme placements and that's what creates your tonal color. 
And this is one of the first things that I start trying to pull away. It's like peeling away the layers of an onion because people fear letting go of that control because they don't yet trust their foundation. Mm. It's like they, it's this obsession with being able to feel control mm. rather than just trusting that it exists. Yeah, and our foundation, if you want to apply that, that wisdom to life, mm. you know, not trusting ourselves, not trusting our family, not trusting society, then not trusting, you know, our, what did you say before? Not trusting our support, not mm. breathing into our support. Mm. Where so many of us haven't even had that support. Yeah. So when you don't breathe into your support because you've never had the support, what do you, what are the techniques or what are the, are the things that you tell your students? Because mm-hmm. you teach, you've, you've taught singers mm. for years. Mm. Where do you kind of start? I know you start with the breath and, yeah. and things like that, but also, <laughs> also, what, just so our, our listeners can get a bit of an understanding, what sort of traumatic experiences lead to the voice being oh, like locked or the jaw not opening? Mm-hmm. Any, from my experience, anything where you have felt like you can't speak up. So it can be as simple as being told to be quiet in class from a teacher, from mm-hmm. an authority figure that you trust. Um, what I found is when I did a whole lot of work with people who suffered from really severe um, performance anxiety, when we looked back at it, it was from the ages of zero to seven, mm-hmm. which was where most of their trauma happened. Mm-hmm. And it was as simple as someone saying to them, you should be seen and not heard mm-hmm. in passing or having another student tell them that they sounded like a dying cat mm. or it's it takes we're so fragile it doesn't take a lot for us to lock our own voices down and from my own experience for me it was witnessing my own family's like anger which made me lock away that part of my voice mm. so we it's really interesting to think about like Okay, you might feel safe showing certain aspects of your voice, but what parts of your voice do you not show the world? Mm. Which is the same thing as what emotions do you not show the world because your voice are your emotions. Mm -hmm. Sound is emotion. It's like crying is is sound. Sighing is sound. Yelling is sound. It's all sound. And it's like what I started doing when I was taking myself through this was starting to look at what emotions was I comfortable showing? What conversations was I comfortable being in? Like, I felt really comfortable as soon as I was in a place of authority. If I was teaching, I felt really in control. But if I went into a room where I wasn't being asked to sing and I wasn't being asked to teach and I was just being asked to be me, Mm. that absolutely terrified me Mm. because I had placed so much of my self-worth onto my voice. Mm. So it can be anything it's... It's really hard to pinpoint and it would honestly just be a matter of going back and trying to remember your earliest memories of when you were were young. Was there anything that happened that you can remember? Like what's the first time that you can remember that you didn't like the sound of your voice? Because it would have happened around then. Yeah, even just being told to shush. Yeah, shush. Like Mm. it's we, And it's so hard because you don't mean 
to ruin someone else's relationship with their voice. Mm. It's never something that's done intentionally. It's done because, you know, your parents might be exhausted and you're just screaming around the house and they don't know what else to do because they don't have any other tools and they've just lost it and they say, be quiet Mm. or shut up or like just anything. And that right there could be your trauma point. Mm -hmm. So it's so hard if I have not met someone who doesn't have some kind of vocal trauma, Mm. including the best musicians, the best singers, the best public speakers, the best teachers. Yeah, well, I also feel like it's almost intergenerational, Mm. you know? Like, I feel like a lot of our wounding comes from the passing on of those wounds and the projections of our familial lines' unmet desires Mm -hmm. as well. Mm. So it's that, that wounding just keeps carrying on, and I think it's important to touch on that it takes a lot of bravery mm. and a lot of courage to to begin this work and go into this work. And I know that that has been like most deeply reflected in your journey of having an autoimmune disease yeah. and how almost that was like your dark night of the soul voice yeah. and how it's made you have a deeply holistic uh, relationship with the voice, which I which is unparalleled mm. to anybody who I've ever met. So I think if you want to talk a bit about that, it's really profound. So I was around 15, 16 when I got really sick with an autoimmune disease called celiac disease. And anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's essentially where your body can't break down gluten, wheat, all those types of things. But the really hard and less talked about side effect of having an autoimmune disease is that your body doesn't absorb nutrients very well slash at all so you're generally really really low in iron and low in every other type of um, nutrient so something that I dealt with was when I went through performing arts university I was singing probably nine hours six days a week and my body was so fatigued and I didn't know that I had like I was nutrient deficient everywhere um, that my muscles started to wear and tear and fatigue and not repair and they started to get really injured which for someone where my voice was my whole world losing that for and the possibility of never getting it back was probably one of the most traumatic events for me because it was my therapy it had gotten me through the hardest times of my life when I didn't have anyone else I would sing when I would be highly anxious I would sing when anything happened that it wasn't safe to tell my parents about I would sing so the idea of not having that form of therapy was a moment where I realized how lost everyone else must feel Mm. because I had had that connection to my voice so I knew how important it was and I knew how profound that relationship was so potentially losing it was terrifying I had never felt more distant from my soul because I couldn't hear her like there's a difference between feeling it and hearing it as well and so I went and I took myself on this huge journey of trying I got told by a doctor I should say this that when I was really sick that I should redefine my idea of success because I was not going to be able to do the thing that I dreamt of doing most Hmm. a doctor being like sorry you're a bit broken we don't know how to fix you you can't sing anymore 
And I love the irony of that because it's almost like you, you have redefined yeah. your idea of success. <laughs> I know, in hindsight. But for, for the better. Yeah. And it was like I took that spiral out of control for about 24 hours and then was like, I have two options. Either listen to him and completely change my life and not sing anymore or do whatever it takes to learn about the voice. And so I chose the latter and I dove into like a plethora of alternative health. I looked up every different type of vocal technique. I looked into a whole bunch of stuff called the Alexander Technique, which was looking at posture. I looked at um, vocal psychotherapy because I was really interested in understanding how the voice was linked to our psyche. Um, So I, I did everything to try and understand holistically how I could help myself. And in that process and in that journey, I started realizing that I was able to hear what other people weren't hearing in their own voice. So in the end, that me almost losing my voice was the silver lining to becoming a genius at it. Mm. And it was like... (laughs) (laughs) And it was... The, one of the reasons why I ended up getting a job so quickly at the performing arts university that I graduated from because I graduated and then had a year off and in that year I got asked to teach a lot of these Whopper students and they had a huge improvement in their voice and then the next year they asked me back and I don't think I would have been offered that job if I didn't know so much about it mm. um, and I only knew so much about it because I almost lost it Mm. yeah I love how as well that journey has led you to totally carving a new path as an artist Mm. and really not conforming to the demands of the music industry that Mm. would take away the precious voice that you have worked so hard to ground into your life Mm. and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that because I know a lot of artists would find it really inspirational as you know, Spotify is, is giving artists, mm. what, two, three, four cents <laughs> yeah. per play of song. And, yeah. and so much, having living with you over the past couple of months, seeing how much of your whole body, your mm. whole soul goes into your work, that I feel like there needs to be a radical shift in the whole music industry. And you're, you're a teacher in mm. that as well. Oh, thank you. I, I was always really passionate about trying everything and I never liked the fact that when I was at a performing arts university they would put you in a box they said that oh Edwin you have a huge voice therefore you're a soul singer you're an R&B singer you should be a gospel singer and then because I was a student you were malleable as hell I was like yeah that's that's fantastic I'll do that I, I did that and it almost destroyed me because that is one aspect of my expression and everything else got forgotten about. And I find that in the music industry, there is very limited room in the radio world for uniqueness. They are so trying to just keep people interested. So they go with what people recognize. And there are certain sounds. It's like there are sounds for every generation. Mm. It's like, okay, can do you fit into the sound of today? Do you fit into, like, what does your voice sound like? And so what I was finding was that people would come to me and say, I want to sound like this artist. And I was like, well, you're not that artist. Like, your fingerprint is different to that artist. Therefore, why should your voice be the same? 
Because as soon as you try and sound like someone else, you're, you're disconnected from your authentic expression because that's no longer you singing. And I was listening to all this music and I was like, cool, it sounds good. It makes me feel nothing. Mm. And I loved listening to radio channels like Triple J where they celebrated so many different genres, but the musicians still aren't making money. Mm. They're still not making money because of the fact that we've been made to believe that there is only one route to being successful in the music industry. It's like, okay, you start with doing these terrible like open mic nights at midnight, performing to no one for about six to seven to 12 months. And you just, you work, work, work and say that you've done that. And then you record your first single and you release it and five people hear it and you put it on Spotify and you make absolutely no money from that and you continue doing that. And then there might be 1% of all the musicians that have done that, that ever get picked up by a, a label. And then still that label owns what they create. Mm. So they don't even have that autonomy. They are signed to a record label who's like, cool, we'll give you this amount of money and that'll be able to pay for your recording process. And then when you go on tech tour, you pay us back. And if you don't pay them back, you, you have to keep all of your sales, go to them. They own your music. Mm. You don't own it anymore. And that to me, I was like, if that is the only way of being a successful musician in the industry, then I do not want any part of that. Because I'm not going to slave away, put my entire soul into what I'm creating to then have someone else take all of that from me. That's mm. why so many huge artists, like even like the biggest musicians that you've ever seen, they don't own their music. They make a lot of their money through merchandise and through brand deals. Mm. They don't make a lot of their money through Spotify or through um, just like the ownership of their own songs. And so a really powerful example of this was only recently when I think what they do is after a certain amount of years the record label will put those songs um, cop like ownership up for sale and then whoever buys it will then start getting the royalties from that so Taylor Swift's first album that made her famous her the royalties to that got put up for sale and this uh, notorious um, I think it was his name was like Scooter Braun or something like that before she even had the opportunity to buy her own music back, someone else bought it from her. No way. Yeah, it's just... It's, yeah. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> she didn't... Like, the record label that she had been with for 10, 12 years didn't even tell her that someone else had already bought them before she had the opportunity to buy the ownership for her own music. So these, these young artists that want to make something of themselves because they are passionate about mm. music uh, don't even realise that they're slowly stepping towards a capitalist mm. patriarchal shackle shackle yeah. yeah and so <laughs> what what have you done to deconstruct that mm. and start working for yourself in this in this avenue which artists may not be aware of yeah so I made a really scary decision to not put my music up on Spotify and iTunes because that platform isn't serving the artist it's serving the listener and I think that's great and all but if you want the music musician to thrive the musician has to be paid like there's it's so hard 
to feel abundant and to create music from that place of abundance when you are still having to work a second job, a third job to try and support this thing that you love so much. Mm. So with my autoimmune disease, I was very aware that that is not an option for me. Like Mm. I cannot sustain two jobs where I have to create and also have to work in hospitality. Mm. I couldn't do it, so I had to work out another way. And I was like, okay, if I stepped out of what people are telling me is the correct and normal path, what can it look like? What would I actually value my music at? Mm. And I was like, oh my God, you, you are putting years of training, hours of creating and thousands of dollars of recording time, producers, mixers, masters, all that, and you're selling a song for $2.79 on iTunes. Are you fucking kidding me? Mm. Like, And for the majority of musicians, what, they might make... 100 200 bucks the whole year Mm. because there's that much music online so i was like i would much rather sell it to fewer people for more money and so in november october november last year something that i'd always done was for myself was i was a vocal looping artist for myself i would always create all vocal tracks i would like it was just something that i did for my own enjoyment and i was like i wonder I had a girlfriend ask me for a podcast intro. And so I did that for her and she was like, oh, how much? And I was like, oh, like 150. And she's like, done. And I was like, okay, firstly, that's one 60 second song that I have just made $150 from. Yes. Right? That one, that was the first thing that blew my fucking mind was that suddenly other people were seeing the value in what I was creating because I was valuing myself enough to not even step into putting it on Spotify. It's like when I said no to that pathway was when another one opened. And so I started doing all these other podcast intros. And then I wrote a song. I like was just, I had this hit to write a song for a friend who was pregnant and I gave it to her and I was like, oh, wow. Like that just kind of came through really, really quickly. And I'd always been really passionate about music being medicine. And I find that the music that you listen to on the radio is not medicine, it's distraction. And manipulation yeah. and unconscious Yeah, the messaging the, that comes through that. There's a whole that. realm of... Yeah, like you listen to the lyrics there. of half that music and you're like, cool, right, okay, mm. that is unhealthy. Mm. And so I was really aware that music essentially switches off your thinking brain and switches on your feeling, like your feeling brain. And so if I could create music that was like medicine therapy for people Mm. then that was like that's why I sang for myself in the first place I never sang to receive attention that Mm. happened later when people were like you should want this Mm. I sang in the first place for my own healing and so I decided okay I wonder if people would want a song intuitively channeled by me and I remember being fucking terrified the first time Mm. and I launched it I said there were five slots available and I was like, fingers crossed that anyone will want anything. And I shushed myself up that day, made sure I was feeling like cool as hell and launched it and I sold out the five songs in 20 minutes and I had a wait list of about 45 people. Wow. And at that time, I was selling them for like $110 each, which in hindsight... I did it because I was like, oh, $110 for a song, that's a heap in, in comparison to do $2.79. Mm-hmm. 
And then I would ask them what the purpose of their song wanted to be and what they needed it for. And I would drop in and I'd create an entirely vocal song for them, mix and master it all myself and send it back to them. And it was like the most healing experience for me because suddenly I was meeting the people that was listening to my music and it wasn't, the music wasn't for me, it was for them. Mm. So it was like, it was just such medicine for myself of realizing that there was a way, one, to make money doing what my soul fucking loved to do, which was to make other people feel things. Mm. It was, I remember, and that literally only just came to me just then, three years prior to that, I went to a day immersion where we were trying to find out our purpose and I came out of that and I realized that my purpose was to create a safe space for for people to feel their emotions Mm -hmm. and I was like oh I do that when I'm on stage and I do that when I teach and da 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 and then I realized as soon as I started doing this like there was no there was nothing more authentic than being able to be the music and be the voice that they couldn't be for themselves Mm. and so I did that and I haven't stopped yeah there's two I have Two things that come to me. Firstly, I love how you framed how important it is understanding medicine. Mm. Music is medicine, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a, a wide genre of music out there that people use for emotional release, mm. such as like rap music mm-hmm. or you know anything that can provide that catharsis. Mm. Yet the difference is it's not in the type of genre, it's the type of intention yeah. and energy and lyrics coming out and being poured into that type of medicine mm. that is almost re-embedding that unhealthy relationship with that emotion yeah. rather than being a pure catharsis for yeah. it. Yeah, totally. Mm. So I love, it's almost like seeing seeing yourself as an artist is a really profound position of leadership mm. and you have a really immense responsibility to use your gift with integrity. Mm and understand the effect you're having on people yeah and to create from that space Mm. and to not conform Mm. to the demands and fear of the industry instead to create a path where you feel where you feel safe to explore that responsibility and create soul medicine so I feel like it's a really symbiotic relationship of weaving of conscious businesses right because Mm. we have the listener and the and the creator like Mm. so being heard and hearing. So we need almost other businesses, other conscious businesses related to the voice, like music festivals mm. or, you know, anything that could happen in that doorway to provide a new platform for more businesses like you mm. who are using the voice with magic and medicine and integrity. Yeah. So we have to like help each other. It's it's like all of the industries that are really infiltrated with so much toxicity mm. and fear and feeling like we have to do things in a certain way that is not helpful for humanity or um, or the earth. Mm. And you like you look at you look at the unhealthiness of musicians. Mm. Just look at look at them like the drug addiction, the alcoholism, like the industry is not serving the artists. It's fucking destroying them. And these artists are like, oh, it's just like the life of a it's musician. Rock it's rock and roll, yeah. baby. And I'm like, get the fuck out. Like, yeah, grow up. Yeah, how is that How is that serving your art? And you look at the art that's created from that place. And it is not something that I personally want to listen to. Because I'm like, I can feel that person's pain. Mm. Like, as it was really interesting. I watched uh, the Amy Winehouse documentary a few years ago. 
Mm-hmm. And it was really powerful to listen to because she was an artist. She was just the most unique creature I have seen. And she wrote these incredible songs. And then she was never able to grow past them mm. because they trapped her because they became so famous. And her label was like, we want more of that. Mm. That landed. Do that again. Mm. You stop an artist growing when you're like, you can only sound like that. Because, Michael Jackson. Right? Like yeah. you just, if music that's created is simply a reflection of where the artist is in that time of their life. Yeah. Right? So that's why when people say, oh, I don't like this, this artist's album. That's okay. Go listen to the album that you loved. That artist is in a different part of their life. They've got different experiences. It shouldn't sound the same. They should be able to explore. And what I find is like the music industry doesn't celebrate that Mm. because they say you're changing, which means we don't know how to sell you anymore, which Mm. means the people that are loyal to you won't like this new sound. And you're just like, you're strangling the artist and you're no longer letting them grow. And you don't let, if you don't let them grow, they're going to implode. Mm. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, such a mirror to, to how we are as, as human beings and Mm. what we value, you know, we get so attached to not changing, you know, fear change Mm. and we want comfort and we want everything to be known. And that, that experience of the music industry not providing space for that or the listeners yeah, yeah. is, like, reflective of our most intimate relationships. Yeah. So, like, we don't want our partner to change. Mm. We don't want our friends to change. Yeah. And it's all happening on this deeply unconscious level yeah, like, where we just react to um, people's uh, change patterns and, and try and constrict them to mm. our projections of who they were instead of who they could be. Yeah, and it's like, you see that everywhere. You see people go, oh, like, this person's changing. Or this, well, yeah, like, they should. You, they, your music, you should change. That person's experiences are changing. They're living their life so that when your music is a reflection of your life, of course your music's going to sound different. And... As soon as you don't feel safe enough to be able to do that, then what you create is no longer authentic because you're trying to sound like something you were three years ago. Mm. And it's like you're living in this limbo of where I am now and where I want to be, but I have to stay back here because this is what people follow me for. Yes. And I feel like almost like I've heard a lot of the the, the term authenticity be thrown around mm. a lot over the past couple of years. So mm-hmm. it's almost like like any of those powerful words, they start to use lose a bit of their yeah. their power. Except it's a real reclamation of that too, because it is our authentic voice that mm. we're looking for. There's like a particular seat in the voice. Which you call timbre, I believe, yep, or yep, resonance. Yes, timbre and resonance. And I love how you say that it's about the feeling of mm-hmm. it rather than the sound. It's we become, we're so, as a society, we're so obsessed with the external. What we can see, what we can hear, that we don't pay enough attention or we don't get the time or the silence or the space enough to actually go inward, right? Because we're always looking at stuff. We're looking at our phone. We're looking at this, this, and this, and this. We're always having our senses overstimulated and with singing and with sound your the sound that you hear is a product of everything that's going on before that so when you change your focus to what it feels like which is usually something that I have to actually say focus on this that is when they start being able to feel the tension that is when they start being able to feel that they are not breathing at all Mm. that is when they start being able to feel where it's placed in their mouth it's like 
we are so obsessed with the sound that we haven't even taken the time to realize that the creation of that sound feels fucked. Mm. It hurts. It feels like I'm strangling myself. It feels like I'm gasping for breath. And when you have that awareness, you have two choices. You have either continue to understand your voice or to just not care. And I find it really funny when people talk about wanting to be authentic, yet they have never done voice work. Ooh. Right? So it's like they're talking about showing up authentically and then I listen to their voice and I'm like, I wouldn't trust you. Yeah. I wouldn't trust you at all because do you even know what your voice is saying? Mm. Do you even know how far away you are from your authentic sound? And mm. this is why when people say, oh, why do I need voice work? I'm not a singer. I'm like, you have a voice. Yes, I feel like it's also important to mention that there is a deficit mm. of teachers. Yeah, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel really honoured to know you and see how you teach because I've had an experience with another teacher before and I'm, I just can't even believe what polar ends of the earth you were on in relation to voice. So mm. it's almost like this. Com- I hope this imp- conversation is an invitation mm. to people already working with sound to explore deeper yeah. as a teacher. And I feel like... There are a lot of teachers that have missed the point of singing as well because you look at what what a performing arts university makes you do is they mark you on how well you can sing other people's songs. Mm. So you go through music in high school and you're getting marked on how well you sing other people's songs. So there's no wonder that teachers are not teaching people how to understand their sound. They're just teaching them to sing someone else's song. So it's not, it's like, I always hated the education industries in regards to music because I understood the necessity, the words, necessity for technique, but technique is just a tool for expression. Mm. And when you become so obsessed with technique and how good you sound, then you lose the other side of singing, which is the emotion. And you can... It's why no one's version of a song is as ever good as the original. Mm. Because unless there's the unique cases when it is, because that person is just living that life. Mm. Um, But because it's just such an interesting thing to look at is how we just... How do I say this? I'm trying to work it out in my brain. Um... We look to others to teach us when we are our own greatest teachers. Mm. Yes. So I don't necessarily think we all have to go out and find a teacher. We have to start asking ourselves questions. Mm. Um, I, I only ever had one teacher in my whole life. I had a teacher for three years, my time during um, at a performing arts university. That was the only time I ever had a singing teacher. And it was everything I did on either side of that, which were the most important tools I ever had. So what questions do we ask Mm -hmm. ourselves if we want to show up authentically Mm -hmm. through body, voice? Where do we we start this journey? What are the questions? So first of all, I would ask yourself, do I like my voice? Mm. How do I feel about my voice when I hear it? Most likely people hear that, like will hear that question and start cringing. Because they're like, oh, I hate my voice. I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. And that's like a whole nother realm. Mm. I would say, what does it feel like when I speak? Take singing off the table. 
Like singing is the next level of vulnerability for people. But speaking, what does it feel like? Where do I feel tension? Like if you start bringing your awareness inward, am I breathing? Where is my breath? Does it feel like there's tightness and constriction in my throat? What's like actually for once taking a second to look at what's going on with your body? Like even people don't even notice that their neck juts forward when they start speaking and that completely throws your posture out. Mm. Because we're never focusing on how the sound is produced. We're just focused on the end product. And that goes for like everything. We don't, we don't want to be a student. We want to be an expert. Therefore, we do whatever we have to do to sound or fake our way to sounding like we're doing it right. So I would say, where is my breath? Where do I feel tension? How does it feel to speak? Do I like it? Mm. There are four questions I would like ask myself first. And then from there, if you go, okay, well, when I'm breathing, I feel that I'm breathing into my chest. That's where you start. Before you even think about any type of sound, if your breath feels like it's in your chest, that's where you need to start looking. I would start Googling. My God, YouTube and Google are two of like, best educational tools I ever had I would look up so many different types of vocal techniques and I would read books and I would yeah I would look at so many different types of educational platforms I didn't need necessarily a teacher and I would look at okay so if my breath is high I need to start clearly breathing lower because when you breathe your chest shouldn't actually rise it's because of the fact that we're not letting the belly go that that breath moves into our chest and if like that's where everyone needs to start so before I give anyone else any other advice I want to hone in on how important focusing on your breath is Mm. Mm. just a little um tangent (laughs) I feel like uh one of the conversations we've had before about that process of relaxing the belly as a woman and Mm. You know, coming from this whole wounded area of the feminine voice in our intergenerational intergenerational trauma Mm. of actually being silenced, you know, witches being burnt, people Mm. being tortured for speaking and let alone singing, you know, and then coming into our modern day bodies where for us coming from white female privilege and yet having these woundings around the beauty dysmorphia of our bodies and wanting to be really skinny Mm. and all of that manifesting in the belly which is also where we menstruate Mm -hmm. where we give birth like it's in a constant fluctuation of rising and falling you know Mm -hmm. so I found that a really powerful conversation or just something to mention that it is deeply related to our insecurity oh yeah and our vulnerability with meeting our bodies in a new way as a doorway to, to mm. meeting our voice and it was like I remember the moment when I realized how affected by wanting to be seen as small how much it affected the voice because I went through I can vividly remember just tightening my core the entire time I was at high school mm. I was locked on like the whole time and I would wear clothes that would be tight around my waist Even the clothes that we wear don't actually... We barely feel comfortable in them because half the time females are wearing clothes which we're being told is in 
and they're not comfortable enough to even breathe. Yeah, to suck in. Suck in. Is to literally don't speak properly. Yeah, don't mm. speak properly. Like you're cutting yourselves off. It like it makes me so much so ragey. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so a decision that I had to make when I I think I was about second year university was Edwina, you have two choices. Continue wearing clothing where you don't feel comfortable and you cannot breathe and therefore you're not singing properly or change your clothing. Mm. Wear something that is actually comfortable enough for you to breathe Mm. so that you can sing. And I remember a mother coming to me years later and she'd had five children and she had the worst breath I'd ever seen. Like, Mm. she wouldn't breathe anywhere. And she said to me, I don't breathe into my belly because I hate that it's soft because I've had so many children. Mm. And, I've, and the work that we had to do was actually one of the healings is was getting her to lie on the ground and putting her hands on her belly and allowing herself to like be lying down when she breathes because there's like psychologically I think people don't feel so big when they're lying down and they're breathing. Mm. But when you're standing up and you see your belly moving, it can be quite triggering for people. And so I I see, it's really interesting, I used to see my students change what they wore to my lessons. Mm. They'd come to me wearing these tight skirts or these really tight things around their waist. And as we started uh, unconditioning the way that they breathed, they started dressing differently. Mm. And it's like you're taking back ownership of this thing this part of us which is constantly moving like when you speak and when you sing your belly should either be moving in or moving out it should never be still Mm. and if it is still it means you're not breathing correctly Mm. so it makes me relatively ragey i feel you (laughs) (laughs) definitely i feel like this is a really powerful and passionate conversation because like there's so many every time we move somewhere new, it's like ding 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 Mm. you know all of these connecting points Mm. between our sexuality making sound between birthing making sound between you know Mm. in our work or just in our relationships being able to voice our needs or Mm. say how we feel Mm. you know it's it's all connected to this um radical liberation that has to happen Mm. through the intention or the commitment and devotion to self-inquiry yeah i think it's so rebellious to want to learn about your voice Mm. particularly for females especially when we're looking at the history of how much we've been silenced i feel incredibly privileged to be doing the work that i'm doing because if i look at it it is the most rebellious thing you can do Mm -hmm. You're, you're learning how to speak you're learning how to sing you're learning how to be heard which for so many of us is a privilege that we haven't had and I only really realized that like six to 12 months ago and before I was always like, oh, I just sing. And then I realized I understood the gravity of what that was and it just blew my mind. And that's when I stopped lecturing at a performing arts uni because I made the decision that singing and being heard isn't just for the minority. Mm. It is for the majority. Mm. And when you commercialize something like singing, it separates us it says cool if you're naturally good at it you're allowed to do it Mm. if you've never been trained in it you're not allowed i don't want to hear you i don't want to see you and that's just like that i was so hating the fact that the only people that felt safe enough to come and be taught by me 
for people who want to be professional singers. Mm. I'm like, sound is simply a way to move emotion. As soon as you're disconnected from your sound, you're cutting off an entire tool of your own healing. Mm -hmm. And so I left lecturing at the Performing Arts University and it was one of the best decisions I ever made because it was an opportunity for me to start reaching more people. And if I lead by example, then it might inspire other people to start exploring their own voice. And, and making it medicine again mm. and taking the voice away from that, you know, 1% trained yeah. superstars to the singers being the women in the communities yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, huge. It was, uh, I remember my mind being blown when I was reading that uh, a book on performance anxiety mm. and they said that before the era of radios, people's relationships with their voices was way better mm. because the only voices that they would hear would be the voices of their families when they would do their like community piano evening sing-alongs. Mm. So it was so accepted for people to be heard and to sing because it was such a, it was such a normal thing. You didn't hear trained singers and the only way you would hear a trained vocalist was if you went to the opera or if you had, you had enough money to go to the opera. Mm. And it was when radio came in and they started commercializing it that people's relationships with their singing voice really shifted and there was that separation between you can do it and you can't do it you definitely we're de in this conversation we're taking artists mm. off the pedestal we are kicking that mm. fucking stool down yeah. and really showing the shadow yeah of what it has done to to, to, to humanity yeah and it's bullshit it's it's horrible it's like the more i think about it the more it's a huge reason why I didn't want to be on Spotify. Mm. It was like I, when I do go back on Spotify, it'll be coming from a place of I'm changing this system. Mm. And mm. so I want, I want to want people to invest in the music that I create for what it's worth so that they know how powerful it is. Mm. And so that they see, like something that I did only recently was I've written a song like the adult lullaby mm -hmm. and I released it for free and I said uh, you have to message me to receive the link and I did that for a really deliberate reason because I wanted people to meet the artist behind the medicine mm. and I find that the music industry separates that you get you don't you get to see them you don't get to meet them mm, and they're on a stage they're just they're staged. you don't get to have anything to do with them yeah. and it's like it creates that idol and it's like no one can live up to that idol. Mm. You know what I mean? You, not even the person that's the idol can live up to that. And mm. everyone's like, that's why they fall from grace. Yeah, exactly. So I want people to actually meet me so that they become invested in what I'm creating so that they, un so that they don't see the price that I'm charging and go, that's ridiculous. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And I think that just coming back to... Um, I guess the my the majority, not the minority, <laughs> of us who believe that we're not singers mm. and you know we have an average voice or you know we we're not permitted to sing mm. in that way and it just like it brings up that um, that saying of the shaman the shaman who said to the depressed mm. person you know when did you stop singing when did you stop dancing mm. when did you stop being enchanted by stories mm. and the sound of silence and I feel like those four areas they are encoded in all of human beings as the most primal and existential longings and like sacred desires and if we're not expressing ourselves or we've 
suppress those desires so deeply that mm. we don't even recognize them mm. that we have a desire to dance or sing mm. or tell stories or be silent yeah it's it's such an indicator of where we need to go mm. as a human species as a step forward into like healing the most grand scale of our issues on yeah. earth it's it's really most deeply within ourselves and and how we can raise children mm. from that place of not passing on those wounds yeah and it's so interesting when you look at the way that society is moving we try and intellectualize everything we we're trying to get smarter we we're trying to you know think our way out of everything when dancing and singing is feeling mm. and feeling is what is what we actually need to do feeling mm. will heal us yeah. and you can't think your way out of feeling so when I think about it, I, I remember I had my own stuff with dancing. I was always like, I'm not a dancer. Like that's, it was like, it's so interesting how I could be so, such an expert in one of the forms of like expression. And the other one, you still have the same stories come up and I've had to do my own work of allowing myself to move because it feels good just because it doesn't look like someone who's trained for 10 years doesn't mean that it's not good. It feels amazing, therefore it is amazing. Mm. Yeah, it just brings up um, that quote that I read when I was reading Audre Lorde's book mm. where she says, I feel like the old epoch of patriarchal society was built upon the, um, the statement, I think, therefore I am. Mm -hmm. Whereas she says, and she redefines it as, I feel, therefore I'm free. Mm. So there are avenues for us to reconnect with feeling mm. to to reawaken our empathy for each other and yeah. to have real relationships totally thank you eddie this has oh. been so beautiful and it's my moving. pleasure and yeah i just honored to have met you mm. and to be living together no, in this time it's been like Hectic. <laughs> it's, been hectic. <laughs> it's been so healing. Yeah. It's been so eye-opening to mm. to live with such incredible women. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been Good. an honour. Know thyself. <laughs>